0: this morning and open up to John chapter 14. And uh, I'll get there in just a second. Uh, By the way, I've been asked uh, already today when I'm going to complete the last day series. I told you I'm moving that to Wednesday night. And so if you're interested in that subject, this Wednesday night, six o'clock, I will resume um the last days series that i began preaching in january there's still a number of things that i want to talk about like the role of america and in prophecy in the last days those kinds of things this wednesday night i'm going to do something very dangerous i'm going to do what i've called last days q a and that is i'm going to uh, allow you to ask questions unless i don't like the question and then i'll just ignore it uh but no uh, I'm going to do my best. I uh, won't be able to answer all of them, I'm sure, but uh, we're going to have a discussion. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Six o'clock in here, we'll continue uh, that series. And then I want to just tell you something. Uh, a number of you, you should have received uh, a letter from me probably in the last uh, couple of days. Some people in here, did y'all receive a letter? Did y'all just throw those things away when you they come and say, oh, that's from the church. <laughs> um, but in that letter, I mentioned something I'm really excited about, and so I'll just tell you if you didn't know, and that is, we're in the process of installing, and we have installed it already in a number of our HVAC, uh, air conditioning heating systems, what's called an ion generator. These are professionally graded, um, like they use in the hospitals, and, and it, uh, it changes the quality of the air. It, uh, in fact, um, the tests show that the systems we're putting in uh, reduce uh, coronaviruses, bacteria, uh, pollen all of those things by up to 90 percent in the air we tested before we started they're very expensive and so before we started putting them on our systems we tested we did a test in the office Matthew did and we were stunned I thought there's no way that that I, sure they improve the quality of air but no way we were stunned in just about two days where they put some kind of measuring device to see the difference before we put them on and after we put them on and in just, for example, one area, it improved the air quality by like 85% uh, from what it had been. And so I'm pretty excited. I also talk about some ministry stuff that's going on in that letter. I hope you'll read it if you uh, have not and when you get it. Uh, but uh, we're excited about that. We're continuing to do you know what we can do to try to make this place the kind of place that you feel comfortable to come in, social distance in. and. Uh, and uh, glad that you're here and also glad uh, to have those who are really social distance and that is their social distance because they're watching us online and uh, we're glad to have you uh, tuned in today as well now uh, i told you i wanted you to take your bibles open in john 14 we'll look at our passage there in just a moment you've got your outline i don't know if they were out there i didn't happen to notice when i was coming in but uh, we've had a lot of people say pastor I, i don't have enough note space and so we did some some standalone note sheets. Did, were they out there? Did y'all get anybody get those? Yeah, okay, they uh, they were out there. So if you need more note sheets from a week to week, they'll be out there on the table. You can add those if you want want them. But uh, David uh, designed some of those for us uh, to accommodate folks who were saying, "I need more uh, note-taking space." Uh, when I was a teenager, there was a popular song called "You've Got a Friend." It was by a guy named James Taylor, and uh, some of you in here are old enough to remember that song. I was a teenager when it was popular. Um, But it's one of those songs that's kind of transcended time because there's still places you go today and you'll hear that song, You've Got a Friend, Uh, Being sung. And then when I became a student pastor in ministry, there was a song that some of you will remember by a guy named Michael W. Smith called Friends Are Friends Forever. How many of you remember that song, all right? I I want to tell you, as a youth pastor, at the end of a summer camp week, friends were friends. People would gather around, oftentimes a bonfire or something like that, and they'd hold hands and they would cry and sing Friends Are Friends Forever. If the Lord is the Lord of them. Because a friend will not say never, you know. And, and so uh, I knew it well, and it was. Did you sing it, Alan? Did, yeah, you not. Uh huh. And um, did you cry? No. Don't don't answer that question. But it was one of those kind of songs, you know. You still hear that song. Some somebody asked me about one um, uh, today. I've never heard of. He said, and this is kind of like this song, isn't it? And I said, I, I've never heard that song. Um, but at any rate. Um, you know, everybody wants to have friends. And, and today, though, there, the, the expression, there's an expression out there for friendship called BFF. How many of you in this room know what that is? BFF. What is it? Say it. Best friends, Best friends forever, right? And so um, a lot of folks say, yeah, that's my BFF. Or, or, or I've had people say, they think I'm their BFF you know, maybe you've got some of of that. Um, And of course, you know, it's a status symbol on things on social media like Facebook and all the number of friends you have. But how many of you really believe that all those supposed friends are really friends? You know, Uh, most of what we call friends in life are really acquaintances. Did you know that? They did, listen to this, about uh, three years ago, I guess it was, they had to settle um, a qu- question legally about who is really a friend or not based on Facebook. There was a, a case in uh, Florida that was about to go to trial, and it just so happened it was discovered that, that the judge was friends on Facebook, or the attorney, one of the uh, attorneys that was trying the case was a friend of the judge on Facebook. And so there was a petition to ask the judge to recuse herself from the case because she was a Facebook friend with one of the attorneys. And so before they could proceed with this, the court had to determine whether or not they were actual friends. And so they went through the whole process, and finally they came to the conclusion that the judge did not have to recuse herself Just because she was a Facebook friend with one of the attorneys, um, it it ruled uh, this way, and I quote, "...Facebook data mining and algorithms often lead to people accepting friend requests from people they hardly know or who they are only acquainted with in professional uh, circles. Thus, it is the court's decision that legally Facebook friends (laughs) are not necessarily your friends." Well, I don't know that a court actually had to tell us that, right? Someone has stated this. If you go through life with five true friends, you are fortunate. I mean, five real friends, you're fortunate. You may know the name of a billionaire named Howard Hughes. He died a long time ago, but through most of the course of his life, Howard Hughes was the richest man in the world. Now, by today's standard, he wouldn't be. You've got Bezos and, and some of these guys who lap circles around. But he was worth, at the time, $4 billion. Nobody had the kind of wealth that he had. But he is, it is reported that he said on one occasion, though I'm worth $4 billion, I would give every dime of it to have one true friend. Wow. Proverbs... 18.24 says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer to a, uh, than a brother. Do you know just the assembly of ourselves, the gathering of the church, is an expression of biblical friendship? We call it a fellowship, but it's tied to th- this commonality that we have in Christ, and so this is itself an expression. Your being here today is an expression of a kind of friendship. Today I want to share some good news with you. And the good news with you is that if uh, for you is that if you're a Christian, you've got a friend. You've got a friend. Do you know who that friend is? It's the best friend you could ever have. That friend is the Holy Spirit. That's the best friend you could ever have. The Bible teaches us that, and he is the Holy Spirit is a true BFF, and he is the best friend forever to the believer. Uh, The Bible says that they'll never leave us or forsake us. The Holy Spirit is that kind of friend to us. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. If you're physically able to do so, stand with me as we read our text, beginning in verse 15 of John 14. This is what Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells uh, with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Father, thank you for uh, the Word. And I pray this morning that you'll tenderize our hearts. Father, cause us to receive it. Use your Holy Spirit, the author, uh, to quicken your word right to the point of our need to convict us and to challenge us, and most of all, God, to change us. We are listening, Father, to uh, the voice of your Spirit speaking through your Holy Word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, you know, I preached out of uh, John 16 um, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I told you, these chapters, 14, 15, 16, 17, are special chapters. We call them the upper room discourse. It is Jesus instructing his disciples about some very crucial matters before his death and resurrection. He's kind of getting them ready uh, for what's to come. He's getting them, He's preparing them so that, that after he's gone... They will, they will be ready to face the challenges and the difficulties that, they, that surely uh, uh, was uh, 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 ahead for them. And so he's giving them this crucial information. And twice now we see him speaking specifically about the Holy Spirit as the helper that's going to come to them and to all believers after Pentecost to reside in us in order to enable us and empower us to live the way God has called us to live and the way God expects us to live. And it's interesting how this, um, this particular passage starts. Look, look again with me, if you will. Look at verse 15. He starts off this section of the discussion by saying, if you love me, keep my commandments. Okay, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I mean, people that you love, you want to, to follow and obey, and you want to please them. So he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, Right. But isn't it interesting, the very next statement he goes on to say, and I, will ask the Father, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you a helper. So here's what he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then he says, and I'll ask the Father to give you a helper. In other words, you're going to need help keeping my commandments. Now, now, don't miss this. Love is the motivator, right? We, we, the, the greatest motivator we have for following Christ is we love him. And we love him, the Bible says, because he first loved us. And so it's a motivator to love God. So if I love someone, I want to obey them, all right? So he says, if you love me, you will demonstrate your love by obedience. But then he says, however, I know that love will not be enough to carry you. You know, probably if we did a survey, believers in this place or watching us online said, how many of you love the Lord? You remember Jesus asked Peter that. He said, do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord. Do you love me, Peter? Lord, why do you keep asking me that? You know I love you, Peter said. And we could probably answer the same way. Do you love Jesus? Yes, I love Jesus. Do you you love God? Yes, I love God. He loved me. He died for me. I I love him. I I I love him. Then keep his commandments. Yeah, I I I try. I love him, but I, 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 keep, I keep messing up, right? And, and if we're honest, we probably all would say, yeah, but I said, man, it's so hard sometimes to keep the commandments. Hello? Even though I love him. So here's what Jesus was saying. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, but love will not be enough to, to keep you keeping my commandments. So I'm going to send you a helper. So the combination or the motivation or the inspiration to, to obey me is your love for me, but the empowerment to do that is the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So I, I'm going to send you a helper because I know that if you love me, you'll try to keep them, but you're not going to be very good at it unless you have some help. So I'm going to send you the helper. And... Um, and that's what he kind of leads into this. And with that as kind of background and context of what he's doing right here, I want to show you three things this morning about um, your best friend, the Holy Spirit. Number one, the Holy Spirit is, as your best friend, your counselor. He's your counselor. Verses 16, keep your Bible open. We'll refer on to other verses in the latter part of this chapter. But in verse 16, it says, I'll ask the Father. And what is he going to do? He's going to send you a helper. You need help. I need help. But he, the word there— for helper is a Greek word that means counselor. I'm going to send you a counselor, uh, an advocate. Now, think of it like this. This will help you understand. An attorney uh, is often referred to as counsel, right, or your advocate. And, and a good attorney will speak for their client or advise their client. They'll give them counsel. And they know just the right counsel to give at, to their client at just the right time. Now, if you understand that, you understand that the, part of the, the, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to give us counsel, to instruct us. The Holy Spirit is our inward counselor. That's what he's talking about there. And he instructs us in what to do, keep the commandments, and how to keep the commandments. And how to face the issues and the details of our life. Now, listen to me. He isn't just a good counselor. You know, you can get a good counselor in the legal world, but not a perfect one, right? And sometimes a a counselor, an advocate, an attorney may give you counsel, but it may not always be the best counsel. It may be good, but it may not be best. Now listen to this. The Holy Spirit doesn't miss. He's not just a good counselor. He's a perfect counselor. He will always get it right. That's why it's so important that we listen, and that means we have to understand the Holy Spirit's promptings. See, the promptings of the Spirit uh, is the counsel of the Holy Spirit in our life. And, and that's one of the reasons He's our friend, because He prompts us. So it's vital that we learn to recognize and respond properly to those promptings of the Holy Spirit. Now, how does he prompt us? Well, there are a couple of ways he tells us down in verse 26 that the Holy Spirit prompts us. The first way is he prompts us about the ways of God. He prompts us in the ways of of God. And then notice verse 26 says, "...and he will teach you all things." It works like this, as you abide in him, and by the way, in this series, I'll be talking, preaching messages on what does it mean to abide in Christ. And as you abide in Christ, the Spirit of God abides in you, and then he will instruct you as the counselor of God in the ways of God, in the will of God. So the indwelling Holy Spirit, he instructs you in the way of God, in the work of God, in the will of God. Let me give you a powerful principle here. People often ask, and through the years I've had people say, Pastor, how can I know the will of God? Well, that's an important question. I mean, I think probably many, if not all of us in this place today and watching by, by live stream would say, I would like to know the will uh, of God. How can I know the will of God? Now, listen, sometimes there are a lot of things God uses to help us. And we'll talk about that in another message on the will of God someday. But, but uh, there are a lot of ways and, and uh, instruments that God uses to help us understand his will. But listen to this. We overcomplicate it a lot of times. It's not that complicated. In fact, it's more s- uh, simple than you might even realize it. So let me tell you, the secret to knowing the will of God. And I mean this. The secret to knowing the will of God is by allowing the Holy Spirit to control your life. That's a simple secret. It really is. You see, the spirit of and here's why the spirit of God will never lead you or prompt you contrary to the will of God. So if you are filled with the Spirit, that is, and I'll talk about this in just a moment, he's, he's controlling your life. Guess what? You will walk in the, in the will of God. You will walk and understand the ways of God. Does that make sense? Do like this if it does. So if the, if, that's why Paul said, you know, we, I talked to you about be filled with the Spirit Last week, we talked about that, be filled with the Spirit. Why? If you're filled with the Spirit, you won't have to worry about walking in the the ways of God, understanding the ways of God, being uh, uh, in the will of God. Let me give you a second thing that the Bible says that he prompts us in. He prompts us about the Word of God, and he prompts us with the Word of God. Uh, Look in that same verse, verse 26, the bottom, he will teach you all things, and look at this, and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Now, Scripture is so important in our life. In fact, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is breathed out by God. That's pneuma, spirit. And it's profitable to teach us. That's to instruct us. Uh, That is for reproof and correction and training in righteousness. Now watch. The Spirit of God, breathed out, is the author of the Word of God. And he brings... To your mind, what God thinks and God's instruction from God's Word when you need it the most. Have you ever noticed sometime you, you're spending time in the Word of God? I, I presume and I hope and you're, maybe it's in your devotional time and, and you're dealing with something and you think, man, if the Lord would only just give me something. And you'll read a passage and say, how did God know I needed that today? How did God know that? Uh, how, 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 what a coincidence. It's no coincidence. That's the Spirit of God. The author of the Word of God taking the Word and ministering to your heart and your life in the crucial moment, or just when you need to hear from it. And it's not always something difficult. It may be something that affirms something that God is doing or directing in, in your life. He prompts us with the Word of God. That's why you can be reading a page. Have y'all done this before? You're reading a passage, you're reading a passage, and you've read that passage before, but all of a sudden on one day, it just, man, it just like it flies off the page. Y'all ever done that? And you think, wow, That wasn't there the last time I read this passage. I've had it happen many times. I want to tell you one of the remarkable things about getting to to be a a preacher, a messenger of the Lord, is how how I I can go through the same passage and God give me a different message. I don't know how many times over the years, 40 years, thousands of sermons, I've preached multiple times on certain passages, and God gives me fresh stuff every time. I've preached this passage a number of times in the course of my ministry, and every time God gives me a fresh message, a fresh message. How how is it? It's the Spirit. The author can take parts and portions of the Scripture and, and cause those portions or those parts to be exactly what you need to hear because the Spirit in you knows what God wants to say to you, and he takes his word and he prompts your heart with it. Uh, some of you may say something like this. Uh, how many of you are good at, at memory, at, at your remembering things, scripture memory? How, how many of you feel like I'm really good at memorizing scripture? I don't think I see a single hand in here. All right. Uh, we've, and, and, man, I'm depressed. Uh, uh, no. Uh, We've done, and we've done a lot of scripture memory programs here at Ridgecrest over the years, and emphasis, that kind of thing. Now, but here's what I want to uh, show you. You say I can't. I, I just, I try, and I, I just can't remember. I want to tell you, you're remembering more than you realize. That's why you stay in the Word, by the way, because the Word will get inside of you, and you won't even realize it. But what'll happen is, and you've had this happen, that something's going on in your life, and all of a sudden, a passage pops in your brain. Uh, or a scripture starts resonating inside of you, and you think, and, and you say, well, I can't tell you the reference. Does that mean it doesn't work? No, you, look, you don't, you, you don't have to say, that's, oh, that's in John chapter 6 and verse 14. Uh, we added those, by the way. <laughs> but you, suddenly a, a passage comes, by. how many of you have had that happen? Three of you, okay, good. Now I'm really depressed. Uh, no, but but you've had that happen, right? Where you've and it's popped in your brain. You think, I didn't know I knew that, but you did because you're putting the word inside of you. And guess what? The author, the spirit of God, causes it to surface when you need it the most. It's a cool thing. And it's not about your capacity to remember as much as it is your capacity to take in the Word of God and the Spirit of God can bring it to your remembrance. That's what he said right there. And so he prompts your hearts. It's a cool thing. The Holy Spirit brings it forth. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like a friend slipping up in your uh, ear. You're going facing something and you've got a decision making. A friend slips up and says, hey, let me encourage you and gives you a word, and you go, "Boom!" that helped me. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He says, hey, this is what you're facing. Let me remind you. Let me bring to your remembrance. And the reason Jesus said this to the disciples is he knew what was about to happen, that he was going to be taken away from them, and they were going to face things that they had not faced without him, and they were going to face things because of him. And what he was trying to say is, initially, you won't understand, but the Spirit of God, when he comes on you, he will suddenly... Bring to your remember. Oh, yeah, remember what he said. Remember what he taught us. That's why it's so important that you be full of the Holy Spirit so that he can bring forth that which he has already put inside of you. Now, so the Holy Spirit is your BFF, if you will. He is your friend because he's your counselor. But secondly, the Holy Spirit is your friend because he's your companion. Look at verse 16 and following there. Uh, he says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Jesus wanted them to know that he wasn't leaving them alone. But they, that's how they would feel initially, right? When between, between his crucifixion, resurrection, and Pentecost. They would think, well, okay, he left us. And then, okay, so we saw him after the resurrection. Hallelujah! But then he left again. But then the Spirit came down. Jesus went up, the Spirit came down, the disciples went out. And so suddenly it starts making sense. Oh, he didn't leave us. He said he wouldn't leave us as orphans. And now he's not just with us, he is residing in us. He's no longer just beside us. He's in us. And this points to the Holy Spirit's presence. The Holy Spirit's presence uh, in us. Now, I suspect that some of you may not, um, you may not know the name Angel- uh, Angelo Dundee. Some of you might if you have ever watched uh, much boxing over the years. Angelo Dundee, he was a great trainer, and you don't know that name, but I bet a lot of you in here know the name of Muhammad Ali. Uh, some consider him the best professional boxer in in boxing history. Well, he was trained by Angel, uh, Angelo Dundee. Angelo Dundee was what they called his corner man. In fact, there are some who say the reason that Muhammad Ali could float like a butterfly and sting like a bee was because of Angel, uh, Angelo Dundee that was in his corner. He was he was the guy who trained him. He was the guy who coached him and instructed him in the middle of the fights. And, and they asked him one time to describe his job as a corner man. And he said it, he said, this is, uh, this is his words. He says, when you're working with a fighter, you're like a surgeon. When you're working with a fighter, you're like an engineer and you're like a psychologist. When you're in their corner, you've got to be all those things. you got to help them. you got to uh, instruct them, counsel them. you got to get in their heads and, and show them what to do. That's what he said being a corner man is like. Well, I want to suggest to you that the Holy Spirit, as our companion, is our corner man. He's our surgeon. He's our counselor. He's our psychologist. He's our life engineer. And it makes all the difference in the world to have the Holy Spirit in us as our corner man. In fact, a couple of things that it reveals, it reveals that, uh, his occupancy. Now listen, the Spirit of God wants uncontested occupancy of your life. Now, now don't miss this. There are a lot of folks, a lot of believers who miss out on the work and the promptings of the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, because they have not yielded control of their life. The Holy Spirit doesn't come in. He comes in when you get saved, but he doesn't come in with the intention of saying, you just give me a little room in your life over here. I'll take and occupy that little room, and I'll be fine with that." When the Holy Spirit comes in, the intention of God is that the Holy Spirit occupy the entire house. You know, I told you a couple of weeks ago that you and I, really what we are are, we are the houses of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 5, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? And then he says, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. Why would he say that? He was saying, listen, now listen, the Holy Spirit comes in to occupy the house. You're the house of the Holy Spirit. But it says, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. Now, now watch this the intention of the Holy Spirit is to not come in and occupy a portion. It is to invade and occupy the entire house. And you know why? He has a right to. He owns the house. He's not renting. He says, you were bought with a price by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit owns the house. He's not renting space in the house. He has a right to the whole thing. But here's where we get in trouble. What we do is we, okay, I got saved. The Spirit came in, and I yield to him in some things, but other things, it's like off limits. Here's, here's, you you stay in this area of my life and, and don't get into this area of my life, and this is going to be a wonderful thing. When I was young, um, I have two sisters. I have an older sister and a younger sister. I'm the only son in my family. In fact, I was my mother's favorite son. And, uh, but I had an older sister, and, um, and I don't know why, but I guess being a little boy, I remember uh, taping a line across the entry to my bedroom. And I posted a, a sign on the door facing that said, no girls allowed. Uh, you know, that was during the days of cooties. Y'all, y- y- anybody remember cooties? No girls allowed. Anybody? Wait a minute, does anybody remember cooties? Raise your hand, you bunch of old fogies. Uh, OK. Uh, and so I didn't want any cooties in my room. And so you couldn't go. My, and, and by the way, my big sister, who may be watching this, uh, she does from time to time. Uh, she loved her, her little brother, but I was probably a little too mean to her. You can't come in my—this is my room. Stay out. And, um, but every once in a while, she would challenge the line. You know what I mean? Like kids do, she would step in my room and then step out and look at me. <laughs> and you know what I would do? I'd do what little boys do. I'd say, Mom! She got in my, she came in my room and my mom would just say, shut up. (laughs) Well, I don't know if she said it quite like that, but that was the intent, you know? Uh, uh. Now we laugh at that now. And I look back, I think that's just little boys and their sisters and that kind of thing and cooties and all that. But let me tell you something. A lot of us are doing that with Holy Spirit of God. We're saying, I know you're here. We're in the same house. You got your room. I got my room. You stay in your place. I'll stay in my place. Don't come in to my room, and I won't bother yours. And we'll just have this wonderful, peaceful existence. But I want to tell you something. That may happen with little brothers and sisters, but that doesn't work with God. And that doesn't work with the Holy Spirit. And the only person that suffers in that arrangement is us. You see, when he saved you, he died for the whole house. He owns it. He has a right and a claim to all of it. But when we, we relegate him to another location, we miss out on a lot of things, like the promptings of the Spirit of God, and we miss out on the power of the Spirit of God. Um, the Holy Spirit's presence is not about negotiated territory. You know, we, listen, you may try, but we don't negotiate with God. We don't negotiate um, His occupation. It, it's not in, in heaven, it's not up for debate how much God owns and how much we own. And so it's important to understand this companionship thing. Here's the second thing about companionship, and that is that the Spirit of God brings unconventional power when he comes in. The Spirit of God wants uncontested occupancy, and he brings unconventional power. That's implied in companionship that it is his supernatural power that becomes our power. That's why the prophet said in Zechariah 4, he said, this is the word of the Lord, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The spirit of God is the power of God for you to obey God and keep his commandments. Hello? That's how we started, right? He is the Spirit of God. He's in your corner. If God be for us, who can be against us? But if you ignore him, guess what you do? You're on your own. You fight on your own. And that's why it's so important, not just to give him a place in the house, but to give him all of the house, all right? And then there's one last thing I want you to see this morning. The Holy Spirit is our comforter, and that's one of the reasons he is our BFF. He is our comforter. Now, go back with me, if you will, to verse 16. I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. You said, Pastor, helper was another word for counselor. That's right. It's another word for counselor, both in verse 16 and verse uh, 26, that word there in the Greek, parakletos. But listen, it's more than counselor. It is also the word for comforter. He is the comforter. And the Holy Spirit is your comforter in the sense that he is the one that brings peace into your soul. Now, watch this. Look at verse 27. We didn't read this, but look at this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So what's going on? Now, see if you can follow this. We started off with him saying, if you love me, you keep my commandments, right? And then immediately he talks about, and I'll send the helper. So he'll, he'll, in other words, he'll help you do what love cannot by itself do, keep my commandments. The Spirit of God in you will empower you to obey me, okay? I know you love me, and you want to do the commandments, but you're going to need help, right? Y'all with me on that? Now watch how he wraps this section up. So he says, um so in verse 26 i'm going to he send he reaffirms i'm going to send the helper to you i'm going to send the comfort to you and verse 27 speaks of peace and then i he's going to give you peace so he says you're going to have peace but before he does that he said like he did to start out with he says, but for you to have peace the kind of peace i give you're going to have to have the helper so the helper will come He's going to teach you, you're going to remember the Word of God, and guess what? And then peace will be yours. My peace will be yours. Not the peace the world gives you, it's a completely supernatural kind of peace. So his point is what? The Holy Spirit brings peace. We see the Holy Spirit's peace. And it's a picture of a friend, this word parakletos, comforter, is a picture of a friend that's called alongside of, to walk with. You know, a lot of times in life, when you face something challenging or difficult, isn't it nice to have a friend who walks with you through that? You know, you know that they can't always fix what you're going through, but just having the companionship of a friend does something, doesn't it? Just know I've got somebody beside me. I've got somebody with me, somebody to encourage me when, when I just feel like I can't keep going forward. And I've got them there with me, a friend. That's the idea in the Greek of comforter or parakletos. And it means that the Spirit of God has, has come inside to be your friend, to comfort you, to bring the peace of God. So, and Jesus knew they were going to need comfort with what was ahead for them. And and they were going to need peace that only God could bring into their life. That's why Jesus goes on to specifically qualify peace. He says, this peace that I'm going to bring is not like the kind of peace that the world brings you. There is a significant difference. He says there's the peace of the world, right? The peace of the world. What is the peace of the world? Well, the peace of the world is usually an attempt to escape from difficulties or trouble, so I'll feel at ease. It is avoiding uh, uh, trouble. It is refusing sometimes to face things. It, uh, It is refusing to admit what is real. The world's peace is a kind of peace that is sought through pleasure, it's sought through satisfaction. It's sought through contentment. It's sought through the absence of trouble. It maybe even sought through positive thinking uh, and and just the pure denial of problems. You know, that's the world's peace. If I can make everything kind of calm. If if I don't have to, to to stress out over things. If I can minimize trouble in my life, I can have some measure of peace. Or if I'm healthy. Or or if I've got uh, plenty of money. Or I can pay my bills. Or or that sort of thing. Or I'm, I'm achieving things. Well, at least that'll bring some kind of, 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 of uh, peace in my life or, or, or maybe some contentment. But you know, and by the way, I'm not against any of those things. You need to understand. But here's what Jesus is saying. Those are the things that the world says, if you achieve something, if you amass something, if your relationships are, are perfect and all of these, then you can find, if you're not facing any trouble, right, then you can find peace. But here's the problem it doesn't last, right? It doesn't last. Because what you end up doing, did you know there are, let me give this, there are a lot of very wealthy people that are nervous wrecks. They don't have peace, you know why? Because they're trying to manage and keep from losing what they've got. Um, there are people in relationships that. Others might look at it and say, "That's a wonderful relationship," but their relationships uh, are, are are distressing because they're always afraid something's going to go wrong. Uh, there are people who say, "Well, if I can just be healthy, if I can just say healthy, you know, that I'll be." But guess what? They do? and especially hello, right now, is there any stress over health? Do y'all think? <laughs> is there any stress over health right now in our world? Of course. And you know what we're doing? There's a lot of anxiety and fear trying to manage health. And by the way, I'm for managing health, okay? Yeah, yeah. I'm for all of those things. But do you understand what I'm saying? The world's peace is a managed kind of peace. And it's, it goes up and down depending on what circumstance, circumstantial peace. And Jesus is drawing a line between the kind of peace that this world offers and the kind of peace that he offers a, a peace uh, of christ that is a deep peace within it's a it's a tranquility of mind it's a composure it's a peace that is calm in the face of bad circumstances and situations uh it's more than feelings it's even more than an attitude it is a peace that uh is a piece of, of victory in fact, turn to John chapter 16 for just a second. The last verse in John chapter 16, still a part of this upper room discourse. Look what Jesus says. I have said these things to you. He's about to pray in chapter 17. So, but he says here at the end of chapter 16 to, to them, all of these things that we've been talking about and other things that he talks about in this upper room discourse, he said, I've told you all of these things. And then he tells you why. I have said these things to you that in me you may have, what class? Peace. Peace. In the world you will have tribulation, that is trouble, chaos, difficulty but take heart, I have overcome the world. He said, I've told you all of this stuff so that you can have a peace that the world can't offer. It is a spiritual peace. It comes from me. It comes from my indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. It is a deep peace. It is not dependent on conditions. It is not dependent on circumstances. It doesn't matter. You can have this kind of peace no matter what's going on around you. I don't have time to tell you a couple of stories in my own life where at times I felt that unusual supernatural peace of god when everything around or circumstances i was facing were dire and yet the peace of god would flood my heart that comes from the spirit of god and paul even says it surpasses all understanding and you know what he says about it he says not only does it surpass all it will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus That's an unusual kind of peace that the world doesn't know anything about. It's not a peace that says, well, whatever's going on is not significant, or it's not a kind of peace that sticks its head in the sand and says, "Uh, uh, what's happening out there is not real. That's not what it is. It is a kind of peace that is the product of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, it is a fruit of the Spirit. And so it's a kind of peace that says in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of adversity, No matter what it is, I have an unusual kind of peace. It comes from the Spirit of God. And by the way, it is a peace at times that may be shaken, but listen to me, it can't be taken. It can't be taken. Let me tell you why. It might be shaken a little bit, but it can't be taken. And here's the reason why. The world didn't give us that peace, and the world has no authority to take it away from us. It is a peace that comes from the Spirit of God. Someone has said that the peace of Jesus gives us, um, is not uh, the absence of trouble, but is rather the confidence that he is always there with you. It reminds me of the story of three young Hebrew uh, teenagers, most likely, that were thrown into a fiery furnace. You remember that? And um, they had made this statement. They said to the king, King We believe our God is able to deliver us. But even if He doesn't deliver us, you need to know something. We are at peace and we will not bow down to you no matter what, even if we uh, lose our lives in the furnace. And they got in the furnace and guess what they found out? Hey, the Bible says there was a fourth man in the fire, and the form of the fourth man that I see is like the Son of God. You want me to tell you why it looked like the Son of God? It was the Son of God. Three guys in the fire look around, and there's Jesus with them. By the way, he didn't take them out of the fire. He took them through the fire. Never forget that. And that's peace, isn't it? To say, hey, King, we, our peace is found in Jesus. It's not in our circumstance. Throw us in the fire. We don't want to go in the fire. But if we're in there, we believe he can deliver us. And even if he doesn't, it's okay with us. That's peace. One of my favorite stories comes out of the 17th century. Nicholas Ridley, he was, um, he was burned at the stake because of his bold witness for, for Christ. And uh, he wouldn't recant, and uh, he was sentenced to be burned at the stake, as many Christians were. And on the night before his execution, on the night before he was burned alive on that stake, his brother came to him and said, hey, would you like for me to come and spend the night with you in your cell and give you any you know, assistance and encouragement that I can before tomorrow. Nicholas Ridley looked at his brother and said, there's no point in doing that. He said, I plan to lay down tonight like I always do, go sound asleep and then get up tomorrow and face tomorrow. He said, I've got perfect peace. There's no need for you to bother. And by the way, the next day, he did. He laid down, went to sleep that night, woke up the next morning, was taken out and burned at the stake for his faith. But he had the peace of God. But before you can experience the peace that comes from the Spirit of God, listen to me, and I want to close with this. You've got to make peace with God. Do you understand that those are two different things? Hmm. The peace of God comes from the Spirit of God in you. Peace with God is when you give your life to Christ because of the work he did for you. And Paul tells us about it in Ephesians 2. Listen, let me just read this. If you want to mark the passage down, go back and look at it. Ephesians 2, verses 13 through 18. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near, how? By the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Do you get that? He, he's made peace for us with God. That's what it means. And has made us uh, both one and has broken down the, uh, in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in, in himself one new man in place of the two. And so making peace might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. In other words, he has initiated the path to peace with God. He's done everything necessary instead of it being Jesus and you. it Now is Jesus has, has uh, made uh, the path to, to God accessible to us on our behalf. He's done it for us. He's, he has made peace with God uh, for us. And it says, for through him we have both access to peace and to the Spirit of God the Father. He's already done the work. That's what he's saying. He's already already cleared the path to peace with God. And peace with God is necessary to have the peace of God. Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones said this He said, We can have no benefits from God until we first have peace with God. It's a good line. We can not have, everybody say, oh, boy, I'd love to have the peace of God operating in my life. Well, make sure you have made peace with God. Here's what you have to understand. It is the Spirit of God that draws us to God. It is the Spirit of God; He draws us to God. He draws us to peace with God. And then it is the Holy Spirit that fills us with the peace of God do you get that it is the spirit that draws us to God and then when we've made peace with God it is the spirit who fills us with peace of God therefore Paul writes since we have been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ can I ask you this morning do you have the peace of God Do you have the peace of God because you've made peace with God? The order is important. You will never have the peace of God that comes through the presence of the uh, indwelling Holy Spirit unless you have first made peace with God through Jesus Christ. If you've never done that before, you can do it today. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? No one's looking about in this place. No one. And I want to just offer an invitation to those of you who are joining us by live stream, those of you in in this uh, auditorium, that you can walk out here today and say, I know I have made peace with God, so now I can experience the peace of God. Here's how you do that. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, right where you are in this place, by live stream, wherever you are, you just call out to him. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that I need you. And right now, I want to make peace with God. And I know that you're the one that that has initiated that process by dying on the cross for me. I receive what you did for me. I accept you as my Savior. And now, I want you to be my Lord and Master and Savior. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, I did that. I know he's my Savior and everything. But you know what? I need to surrender to the control of the Spirit of God. I've sectioned the Spirit off in my life and put Him in His own room and I want to let Him have complete control of the house that He's already died and purchased. And you might just whisper something from your heart to Him that goes like this, Lord Jesus, thank You. I thank You that I know, that I know that I know that I I belong to You. Forgive me though, Father, for not giving You full control of the house. And right now, right now father i give up control i surrender uh, i want to be filled with the presence of your holy spirit i want his peace to be my peace now lord you've heard these prayers offered up to you in this building online wherever they may be father would you move in the lives of those who have offered these prayers and you begin father taking them to the place that you have for them helping them to obey you helping them to follow you helping them to trust you And Lord, we will praise you for the changes that you make in our life through the Holy Spirit. And it is in Jesus' name we make our prayer. Amen.